Hello and welcome to this episode 10 of Family Law in the UK presented to you by Natasha Slabas. I'm a family law partner based in a reputable firm in central London. This episode discusses child maintenance. The reason I've decided to do a podcast episode on this subject is because I get quite a lot of requests and queries about the Uh, jurisdiction of the court in terms of its ability to determine child maintenance and the interface between that and the child maintenance service which is a government service and most of the time as you'll find out during this episode it is the CMS that has the jurisdiction unless the earner who you're seeking the payment from makes £156,000 per annum gross or more, less any pensions. So first of all, I think it's worth discussing the child maintenance scheme and when it was launched. So the aim was that the state would be acting through the child maintenance service to assess and enforce child maintenance and that structure has been largely used throughout the uh, English system for many years. It was called the Child Support Agency uh, for some time and then it changed to the Child Maintenance Service but essentially the, the same job was carried out and continues to be carried out today. So following the statutory Child Maintenance Scheme the court has the jurisdiction to make orders for child maintenance where the CMS does not have jurisdiction, which, as I just mentioned briefly, is in circumstances where the payor earns over £156,000 gross per annum less pensions. And the parties agree child maintenance by consent or the order is of a prescribed type which is where there are educational uh, disbursements or costs for disability or there are top-up orders or an order against a person with care and a person with care just briefly to explain what that means is where uh, the person with whom the child has their home and provides the day-to-day care um, and doesn't fall within a prescribed category such as a guardian or a person named in a child arrangements order um, is the definition of the person with care in the child support context. So if none of those circumstances I've just described apply, then the person with care has no right to apply to the court for any child maintenance and they must, if they seek child maintenance, apply via the CMS. So that is the only possible route, unless, of course, you can agree amicably with the payor to an amount. But in these circumstances, it's always usually the case that there is a dispute about the quantum or the payment in general and and in circumstances where those criterion do not apply you will be left solely with 
applying to the CMS, I'm afraid. So <clears throat> the CMS has its own unique scheme and that is largely based upon the earnings of the payor. So if that person earns £156,000 gross per annum less pensions or less, jurisdiction lies with the Child Maintenance Service. And the way in which Child Maintenance Service or CMS in short will calculate the rates is by firstly looking at the gross weekly income of the paying parent or the payor. So if they've not provided an income or it's unknown, then the default rate is that it's £38 for one child per week, £51 for two children per week, or £61 for three children or, or more per week. If they declare less than £7 gross weekly income per week, then the rate is nil and they owe £0. If they earn between seven to £100 gross weekly income per week, then the flat rate applies, which is £7 per week. And then there are two further rates if the payor earns gross weekly income of between £100 one pence to £199.99 pence, or £200 to £3,000 per week. Now, a lot of the time the payor does not declare their proper or true income. In such circumstances, the CMS will ask the paying parent directly to give the information about their gross income and include their employer or accountant. But if they do not get the information they need, then the CMS will make a best evidence assessment or make a default maintenance decision. The best evidence assessment is when CMS uses the previous information about the paying parent's gross income or official statistics through the government's annual survey of hours and earnings to work out the amount the child maintenance should be paid at. The default maintenance decision is when the CMS applies the rate that is default based on the number of children the paying parent must pay the child maintenance for. And that's £39 a week for one child, £51 a week for two children or £64 a week for three or more children. And under this default decision, the paying parent must pay a higher amount of child maintenance until the right information is received. So they also may need to pay any arrears as they may have been paying less than they should have been. Where payors are self-employed, then the same rules apply as to the rates that are due from them to the other parent for child maintenance. The CMS will work out the amount they have to pay. So the only difference on the employed or PAYE receipted parents is the way the CMS works out the earnings. So CMS will look at the average weekly earnings for the most recent tax year. And if they can't because the person started self-employment halfway through a tax year, then they'll use the figures from the gross income the business has earned. And to work this out, 
they'll usually take from the gross income reasonable expenditure to run the business, but not including entertainment expenses or capital expenditure and the VAT. And the CMS will then use this figure, which is the average weekly earnings, to work out how much maintenance needs to be paid. In some cases where there is a sharing of the care between the children, i.e. the payor spends some overnights with these children for whom they're liable for CMS, there'll be a reduction to the weekly child maintenance liability based on the average number of shared care nights a week. So the other thing to bear in mind is how many nights a year the payor spends with the children because you will not get the full amount pursuant to the strict uh, formulae, if that's the case. Other income and expenses can be asked to be included by the CMS, and that's, a called, that's called a plan for a variation. And you can apply before or after child maintenance is worked out. So both the paying and receiving parent can ask for the following sorts of income and assets to be taken into account. Rental income, if it's over £2,500 a year. Interest and dividends from savings and investments, as long as it's over £2,500 a year. Gross earnings or pensions of at least £100 a week. If the paying parent gets the benefits and qualifies to pay the flat rate of child maintenance, any income the paying parent may be diverting so that it's not included in the calculations. So, for example, that could be if they're giving it to someone else or choosing to have a company car instead of a high salary. And assets like shares, stock, gold or money worth more than £31,250. If you're a paying parent, you can ask for expenses such as costs of keeping in regular contact with the child for whom you pay child maintenance, such as fuel costs, costs of supporting a child with a disability or long-term illness who lives with you, repaying debts from a previous relationship, or boarding part of the boarding school fees for the child for whom you pay the maintenance, or mortgage loan or insurance payments for the home you use to share with the receiving parent to be uh, deducted or taken into account against the liability for CMS that is due. So each type of expense must be more than £10 a week, and the supporting child who has a disability or long-term illness can be less than the costs. You cannot ask for expenses to be taken into account if your gross income is less than £7 a week. So that's a broad brush approach of how the CMS jurisdiction works. Now, if you come outside of the scope of the CMS, i.e. the payor, as weekly income as assessed by the CMS over the maximum amount of £3,000 per week or £156,000 per annum and there is a CMS assessment in force and the court is satisfied that the circumstances of the case make it appropriate then the court retains jurisdiction over child maintenance in that scenario.
The court may also have jurisdiction over child maintenance where the parties consent to the court having jurisdiction pursuant to Section 8.5 of the Child Support Act 1991 and the Child Maintenance Written Agreements Order 1993. Where the courts do have jurisdiction, they can order periodical payments pursuant to Section 23D of the Matrimonial Courses Act 1973. The court will therefore have a broad discretion because those particular factors are wider than those attributed under the child maintenance service if you're relying upon them to use their rigid formulae in calculating the liability that's owed. So there are cases (coughs) on the use of the CMS formulae quite a lot of them, and I won't go into detail, but there is a very recent case where Mr Justice Mostyn, in December 2019, handed down judgment called CB and KB, square bracket 2019, close square bracket EWFC 78. And Mr Justice Mostyn suggested the correct approach for the quantum for identifying child maintenance in those high-income cases where the payor earns over £156,000 per annum. Then, where the non-resident parent's income is in excess of that, the figure provided by the CMS formula is a starting point. Now, in that respect... And just looking at the detail of the case, the husband was in a well-known band and the focus of the judgment was on the valuation of various streams of income that were available to that husband. And there was an issue as to quantum of the child maintenance and the judge held that the approach for the court to take when quantifying child maintenance in these sorts of high-income cases was to use the CMS formula as the start point. And the judge referred to the decision of TW and TM and the citation square bracket 2015 close square bracket EWHC 3054 brackets FAM close bracket. And in that case... The start point was also said to have been the formula and that should be applied specifically in top-up cases or the high-income cases as they're known. And it was slightly unclear whether that was actually the ratio of the case taking into account the judge's exposition of the basis of the court's jurisdiction. The judge said in such circumstances it simply cannot be gainsaid that the prior orders were validly made. Indeed, in order perhaps to make assurance doubly sure, it should be recorded that in the case of TM, the earlier orders recorded that the child support agency had carried out a maintenance calculation in the maximum amount, thereby entitling the court to make an order topping up that calculation under Section 8.6. There can be no doubt at all that were that there were in existence valid prior orders capable of variation, and the suggestion that the learned deputy district judge did not have jurisdiction to vary her order is legally devoid of any merit. 
So in CB and KB, the 2019 decision, which was about four years after the TW and TM decision, Mr Justice Mostyn had made clear that the approach um, is that he suggests in every case where the gross annual income of the non-resident parent does not exceed 650000 the starting point should be the rest of the formula, ignoring the cap on annual gross income at £156,000. For gross incomes in excess of £650,000, I suggest that the result given by an income of £650,000 should be the starting point with full discretionary freedom to depart from it having regard to the scale of the excess. In this case, the relevant factors are 1. Gross income of the husband of £639,000 2. Adjustment to gross income referable to three children to the husband's family, 84% and 3. Adjustment to computed sum referable to shared care of three subject children of 62.5%. So these factors led to a computed sum for child support for the children of £50,269 per year or £12,567 for each child. And having considered the budget of the wife referable to the children, the judge said he couldn't see any good reason materially to depart from the starting point of pounds £12,567 per child. The figure for each child will be rounded to £12,600 and will be payable until each child completes tertiary education. So the ratio is that the starting point is to apply the CMS formula on a high income case and then cross check against the needs of the child in question where the court will require good reason to materially depart from the starting point. So then you have to ask yourself, what is a good reason to depart from that formulae? And that's a difficult question, but basically for the right formula to be appropriate, then the approach disregards the parent with care's income. And where the income is significant, this could lead to unfairness. But the approach appears to also focus the division of income on the basis of percentage sharing rather than need. So where the formula exceeds the child's needs, then there's an opportunity for someone to pursue spousal maintenance via the back door, which is not necessarily what the judiciary would have intended. There could be lots of overinflation of child's needs in these sorts of cases so that they can prove the point that it's a departure and a significant departure from the formulae. And the approach will also ignore the Parliament-specific imposed threshold for contributions towards the children, which are there via the government service. And the approach could lead also to disputes about the amount of time children spend with either parent which is already subject to scrutiny of the CMS system. But if that approach from the recent case is correct, then some of the concerns could be good reasons to depart from the formulaic approach. So 
where the person with care has significant comparable or higher income than the non-resident parent, <coughs> then there's a large opportunity from fairness where that income is ignored. But the principle that both parents' incomes being taken into account for the formulae is still enacted under Section 11 of the Child Support Act 1991, and that is to promote fairness and taking into account both incomes. <coughs> and so there is a tension between the two regimes. I suppose another important point to be taken into account is that there is scope and encouragement almost for the payor to attempt to gain a lot more access and arrangements with the children in order to defeat claims for their payment of child maintenance because child maintenance service does calculate within the formulae the number of overnights which are discounted against the obligations. So there is an encouragement almost to litigate in respect of the division of time between children in that respect in order to offset liabilities or indeed for the payee to encourage less time so they get more money from the payor. But if the formula is to go up to £600,000, then the liability of the non-resident parent of one child could range between £50,000 and £29,000, depending on whether the child was there one night a week or four nights a week. So it's important to think through carefully the obstacles involved, which are obviously not clear-cut if you are able to go to court for a top-up, but also to consider the avenues available um, if you don't have that option and the difficulties um, in terms of being limited by child maintenance services. So I hope that that helps and please get in touch if you have any queries at all. Thanks very much for listening as ever.